Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24 with Pastor John King. Good morning, everybody. So before we get started, I've got some embarrassing uh, things to do. We don't normally do this, but uh, could Ray and Jen Carter and Miss Margaret, would you guys come on up? I told you I was going to embarrass you in front of everybody. You know, for the last, what, four years, Ray and Jen have been a part of our life and a part of your life here at Calvary Chapel. Um, Jen especially has had a very close relationship with Margaret. Uh, And so we just wanted to take a moment to send them out uh, with a blessing from this church. You know, we will always be uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we know we'll have a great reunion one day. But, uh, you know, it can be a little difficult, and so we just want to send Ray and Jen Carter and their precious children who are in the nursery. Yeah, good place, yeah. Uh, we, uh, what's, the, what's their names again? No, just kidding. Uh, Shiloh and Charlotte, of course. How could you forget her name? Well, that's because I'm nervous. So. But, uh, but if you guys would, uh, you know, maybe raise hands, bow your head. If you want to come up and lay hands, we're just going to send them out with a blessing before we start the word today, okay? So Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the, the, just the joy that you bring to our life through the people that you bring that we cross paths, and not only cross paths, but that we walk in, in the Lord with. And Lord, it's such a rich blessing. It's such a rich and glorious blessing this side of heaven to have, have fellowship with one another. And so Lord, we just want to send out Ray and Jen and Charlotte and Shiloh with the blessing here from here at uh, Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City. We just want to join together. We ask, Lord, that their path would be smooth. It may be difficult at times. We ask for the transition and the continuing time to move um, would be a blessing for them. We pray, Lord, for new friends and family and relationships. We pray for a, a new church family for them to get plugged into. And Lord, we just simply ask for your blessing to be upon this precious family who we dearly love. And so, Lord, we just, we just, we're just doing that. That's just a simple thing. We come before you with a simple song, a simple prayer, just to give thanks, and to give glory to you for the work that you do in our lives and the people you send us and the people that we have to send away as well. So, Lord, go before us now. Bless this family. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people say it. Amen. If you guys would like to say something, that's up to you. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, put me on the spot for that. I just want to say, uh, you know, long story short, I mean, I came, we came here from Alaska, and uh, it was, you know, I, I, I kind of was in a place in my life in Alaska where I, you know, I just wanted to stay up there. I didn't want to come back to the lower 48. Wasn't, wasn't excited about coming to Elizabeth City five years ago. Didn't really like people like that. I kind of wanted to be on a remote island in southeast Alaska hunting fish and, and have raised my family and all that type of thing. And uh, that's kind of just where I was in my life at that time. And uh, just, you know, coming here, you know, this swamp, mosquito-infested swamp, <laughs> all that good stuff. And then, you know, uh, I'm not really outgoing like that. I'm not, I'm too, you know, kind of to myself. I'm used to transferring around, not really establishing roots and all that stuff. But my wife is, she's pretty outgoing. And she was meeting folks, you know, and trying to get us plugged into churches. And I was like, ah, oh, keep keep up the good work in our lives. But she, she was like, hey, what about this guy? I, I met this guy. He, he's got, you know, I gave you your number. Why don't you call him? And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I'm not really interested in all that. But, uh, and then, you know, we got moved around a couple different churches and then got plugged in here. I just, um, you know, it's just been a, a huge thing for me to, um, you know, go from where I was five years ago with not really wanting to be uh, around people like that to to being in a community of people and, like, completely changing that mind state. Um, it's just been a blessing from God. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And of course, we, we may see you guys from time to time. We're not, we know you're not that far away. So, 
Well, good. Great. Well, gosh. Okay. Well, listen, today we're going to finish chapter one of Galatians. We're going to be in verses 11 to 24. So while you're turning there, um, let's be reminded that this book of Galatians was a, a somewhat famous letter written over Paul's great concern about the spiritual state of the churches that he had just recently planted in the middle part of Turkey, this area called Galatia in the ancient times, the province of Galatia. False teachers known as Judaizers had come in among their fellowships and they had this works-based, man-centered version of the gospel, which is totally against God's word and the truth of the gospel. That their, their version of the gospel would try to impose ceremonial law, in this case circumcision, as a requirement for true salvation in Christ. And to make matters worse, the Galatians seemed to be in the process of kind of swallowing this whole thing, and they were kind of following along with these false teachers. Now this new gospel, Paul would write, was not even worthy to be considered as a gospel at all, because it took away the grace of God in exchange for merit. It's kind of like saying, hey, if I believe in Christ and I do something alongside of that, then I've secured my own salvation. Instead of, as you're familiar, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. So we finished with verse 10 last week, where Paul highlights the fact that everything that he received and taught them came from Jesus himself. He explains this in detail because why? Not all, or excuse me, not only were the false teachers looking to lead the people astray with their false gospel, but in the process they were attacking Paul's credibility as a true apostle. And we'll say it more than once today, when you make a stand for Christ, in this world and in Paul's world, be ready for personal attacks. Now this week, we're going to see the uniqueness of Paul's conversion experience. When Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle, how he met and he was personally instructed by Jesus Christ himself. Most of us who come to faith in Christ, excuse me, encounter the living word through the written word, the Bible. Maybe from an evangelist, maybe from a loved one, or a Bible teacher, or a missionary. The supernatural aspect always comes in when the Holy Spirit penetrates past our intellect to our conscience, and there a decision is made. But we're also going to see the things we have in common, what most believers have in common with Paul in our conversion. When you make a stand for Christ, as we said, people will attack your story, your credibility, and your true conversion. But that's the very thing that no one can rob from you. Your testimony. It's the life you lived before knowing Him as Savior. It's how you came to know Him, and most importantly, how your life has changed since. It's through your story that God is magnified and Christ is glorified. Amen? Let's read our passage. Verse 11. It says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither I, or excuse me, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tra traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me or in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Oh, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. 
But I saw no one of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Father, we thank you again for your word, and, and we thank you for the writing of Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak to these churches, Lord, as he was inspired by you to tell his story. And his story is really your story, the story that you write in the hearts of men and women all throughout the ages, Lord, as we encounter you. And as we come to know you and grow in you, Lord, you've given us a story to tell that God would be magnified and that you, Lord Jesus, would be exalted and raised high above all things. You've changed our lives. We're a new creation in you, those of us who know you. And so, Lord, we look forward to, once again, being reminded of these things as we read and study the words of Paul. Go before us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we start out in verses 11 and 12, seeing Paul is going to now give the source of the gospel. And the source of the gospel, of course, based on Paul's experience. He says in verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, and the King James Version says, I certify to you, brethren. But notice he uses the word brethren. He's writing to his brothers and sisters. Even though they were the un under the influence, many of them, of the false teachers, they were still brothers and sisters in the Lord. They had not lost their salvation. They hadn't fully turned away from the things of God. But they were heading in, down a dangerous path. And he says that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Now that word gospel in the Greek is euangelion. And the word preached is euangelizo. And so if you were to put this in English and you wouldn't say it this way, but you might say the gospel which was gospeled was, was spoken to me. But it was not according to man. In other words, it didn't come down from man. New Living Translation says it's not based on mere human reasoning. Uh, David Guzik writes uh, very quickly, he says, you know, men have many marvelous things to teach us, but God's revelation has all things which pertain to life and godliness. You'd see that in 2 Peter uh, 1 and 3. Now more than ever, the world does not need the good advice and wisdom of man. It needs a revelation from God. And, you know, we see, the, we see the headlines. We see this world. We see we know what's happening. Or sometimes we, we don't know what's happening. That's why we, we get on our knees and we pray to the Lord and we ask him, Lord, what is going on? Will you bring revival? Will you bring healing? Will you, will you change my heart towards people who don't see things my way? All the things that happen now. And, and so we, we should seek God's advice through his word and God's wisdom especially in the days we live in. And it was true even in Paul's day and will always be true until the Lord returns. He says, now he's defending himself. So he says for I, in verse 12, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it. In other words, to receive with the mind. We're going to talk about a way of learning. But he says, I wasn't taught through a teacher. There was no middleman. We were talking about prayer early this morning in our prayer time, and we realized there's no real middleman, you know, like a person, if you will, a human being that can come between us in our prayer. We, don't have, we can ask others to pray for us, but we don't need an intermediary in the sense that we can't go directly to God. We can go boldly to his throne of grace by the blood of Jesus, which covers us and gives us the opportunity to do that. And Paul's saying, I didn't receive it through teaching. Now, you're probably thinking, well, you know, I, I heard the gospel from a person. So we're going to cover, we're going to talk more about that later. But keep in mind, Paul is unique. Paul is unique. He's not unheard of even in this day and age. We'll talk about that too. But he's very unique. And he wrote, he wrote most of the New Testament. And God had a very special work for Paul the Apostle. But we have this word revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the word apocalypsis. 
This is the same term used in the opening verse of the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is revelation? How is it different from, say, cognitive learning, you know, that we learn in a school setting or in a classroom instruction? Well, first of all, if you take a notes, revelation is a disclosure of truth concerning divine things before unknown. So this pertains 100% to the things of God. It's a disclosure of truth to something that you could never have known unless God had made it known. A divine disclosure. Revelation, especially, next thing, revelation is especially to those things related to our Christian salvation. Especially those things. And revelation is given to our soul, to the soul of a human being, by God himself or by the ascended Jesus Christ, especially through the operation of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a slide for this, but write down 1 Corinthians 2.10. It says, but God has revealed them, things, these things, revelation to us, through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So revelation Paul received came directly from God, from Jesus Christ. The gospel to Paul, did not originate, to anybody really, did not originate with human reasoning. Paul did not receive it, in his case, from a teacher or a middleman. The gospel came directly from the mouth of Jesus. When did this happen? How, how did this happen, and when did this happen? You're familiar with the story. Look at Acts 9, verses 3 through 9. Again, this is what Paul, you know, this is Paul's life prior to Jesus and here he is in Acts 9, verses 3 through 9. I think we have the verses up there on the screen for you. Now, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This got his attention. And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You know, when we come to salvation in the Lord, we're told to just simply obey him and to read our Bibles. You will be told what you do. And it says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Oh, that's, now that's a divine encounter right there. You're hearing voices. All of us are hearing voices. Paul's the only one that sees the bright light, and then he can't see it all. And then Saul arose from the ground, and with his eyes he opened. He saw no one. He was blind. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was for three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, if we were in the book of Acts, uh, you know, there's a lot of parallel here, but we're going to refer back to the book of Acts a lot. We know that the Lord instructed Paul on many subsequent occasions. He gave the apostle very specific instructions, and you see it all recorded in the book of Acts. For instance, when he stood before the king Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa II, giving his testimony, you know, he was on his way to imprisonment in Rome, but he gave his testimony, and he stood before this great king in Acts 26, 15 through 18. And here you see Paul revealing more detail about his conversion experience. Look what happened. It says, so I said, who are you, Lord? Now, this is when he'd been blinded, and he asked the Lord, and he said, I am Jesus whom you were persecuting. So there's a conversation that's going on right there with Paul at his, at his um, conversion. He says, but arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. He says, Jesus says to Paul, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. He says in verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why? to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. When Jesus came to the earth, 
He came to destroy the works of the devil. And now he calls on his apostles and all believers and Christians to continue that work, to turn people from Satan to God. That's our calling. And this is a very you know, explicit thing. It, it, even though it applied to Paul, it also applies to us as well. And it's through the, the gospel. Now we look at verses 13 and 14, and we see that Paul's reputation preceded him. He, he gives a little mini autobiography. In other words, we're going to see now what Paul had done. And this is, if you're giving your testimony, this was your life before Christ. This was Paul's, a snapshot of Paul's life before Christ. He says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. You've heard of it. In other words, you've found out. Paul explains now what led up to this miraculous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. First of all, you've heard of my former conduct. That's the manner of life. That's the behavior that he displayed that people would recognize and know him for. And, and it really was in Judaism. You know, they knew that he was a zealous Jewish man. Jew, Judaism is the Jewish faith and worship. And what he did is, he says, how I persecuted the church. To persecute is to harass, to trouble, to molest in any way, in any way whatsoever. And who did he go after? The church of God, Ecclesia, those who were gathered in his name. Beyond measure, exceedingly. I wanted to destroy it, he said. King James Version says, I wasted it to ravage and to overthrow. For Paul, or Saul, the persecution of the church had become a way of life. He was thorough and successful and had been doing it on a very ongoing basis. More from the book of Acts, Acts 22, 4 and 5. This is what he did, some specifics about what he did. Notice it says, I persecuted this way, the Christian church, the way, to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, and also uh, the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. He was empowered by the church, okay? The Judaic church, if you will, the Judaic religion. And he says, and they went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Acts 26, 11 and 12 excuse me, 11, 10 through 11. He said, this I also did in Jerusalem and to many of the saints. I shut them up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is his before Christ, you know, before knowing the Lord. This was his former life. You know, as is the testimony of many, there's nothing, there was nothing that indicated Paul in his pre-Christian state, there was nothing to, for you and I to have expected him to become a Christian. There was nothing evident there. Just the opposite. <clears throat> You know, we recently had an outreach at the, at the Potato Festival. I'm going to tell you a little story, uh, something we learned. We learned some things from the Potato Festival. And uh, it was, first of all, uh, if they ever give you a booth on that side of the street during that time of day when it's 95 degrees, that's difficult. Anyway, that's, that's a form of, uh, of environmental persecution. <laughs> so, uh, but in any event, um, but that'll test your resolve, I'll tell you that. But I was recently sharing with a, a fellow pastor, and Pastor John's well aware of this situation, about an encounter that we had uh, online. There was an online troll who apparently had been at the Potato Festival, had gone past our booth, and this troll's nine-year-old daughter had received a gospel tract. Now, those of you that have been given gospel tracts know that often they very, they're very explicit, and, and oftentimes they explain the difference between heaven and hell. That's the purpose of a gospel tract. And so this, we call this person an online troll. They, they sharply criticized 
our outreach at the Potato Festival. Um, they went online and they created a fake identity on Facebook, from all we can tell, so that we couldn't tell who they were. They had no personal pictures, no personal information. All so they could blast us as a church, to blast our witness, to say, you know, who is that crazy woman at your church who gave my nine-year-old a gospel tract that said that she's going to hell? <laughs> and uh, we don't, I don't know who it was. I think I know who it was, but praise, praise the Lord. I've asked everybody that's been at the Potato Festival. I wasn't there at that time. And they said there were no altercations or anything like this. This person just simply decided they were going to come against us. They even went on the Elizabeth City Potato Festival's Facebook page and just blasted a bunch of foul language and bad things. So, you know, we figured out it was a troll. We blocked it from our post. You know, we took it up, took it down. But it reminded me that just like Saul, this person is certainly seeking to persecute and destroy our witness. And so I was telling this pastor, a friend, Mark Ramirez, and he said, you know what? Think about Saul, because how he was persecuting the church, maybe this person who did this was on the verge of salvation, just like Saul was. And so if you think about it, pray for that unknown Facebook troll <laughs> in our area, because I can't even pronounce the name. I don't even want to repeat it. Why is that important? Well, but the fact is that God can reach anyone, okay? He's reached all of us here, I assume. And there were times in your own testimony, you would say, people might have said, there's no way that, that person's coming to the Lord. No way. What has happened? In verse 14, he says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. So, you know, to be a proud religious Pharisee was a big deal in that culture. A big deal. So I advanced. I made progress of my own nation, his own stock and race, the Jewish people, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Now to be zealous is to, be, is to defend and uphold a thing. And when we, we look at our society now, you know, a lot of the problems that we're having in our country, it's been said, it's, it's, we're all guilty of it. It's when good people don't speak up, okay, that you're not zealous to uphold what's important. You know, and I, and I know, in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir. We need to be vocal. We need to push back, not in a violent way, not in a, you know, we're not going to storm the Capitol or any of that kind of stuff, but we need to be vocal. When the world and our culture is telling us one thing or this and that about lying about our history, lying about the foundation of our country, we need to stand up and we need to talk back respectfully. And there's a lot of ways to do that. And so, because it doesn't take a majority to change a nation. That's happened right now. There isn't a majority of people who are starting to turn our nation towards perhaps socialism. They're not a majority. And look at they believe, they're zealous for what they believe. And you and I as Christians, do we believe what the Bible says? Do we believe that our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values? We need to stand up and speak. Off my soapbox, sorry. Paul was a very ambitious go-getter who had obviously impressed the Jewish leadership who had empowered him on his quest to lay waste to Christianity. In his letter to the church at Philippi, he spoke of the measure of his pharisaical confidence in the flesh. And I'm bringing this up because we can be overconfident in our Christianity. And Paul was obviously, Philippians 3, 4, and 6, it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, there it is, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Again, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He says, uh, of, you know, of the tribe, well, I am reading it, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He checked every single box of a religious Jew, of a Pharisee. But he was doing it in his own flesh, in his own strength. You and I have got to approach life and wisdom by the word of God, by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do this in our flesh. It never works. It never works, amen? <laughs> but now we're going to see in verses 15 to 7, 
15, what God had done. The most important part of your testimony, ladies and gentlemen, is what's different about you. What God has done in your life prior to Christ, where you were at, how you got saved. One of the most important things is what has God done in your life? And look what he says. But when it pleased God, he separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. It was God's pleasure, it was God's choice, and it was God's timing. And you don't need to be a theologian, you don't need to run down the rabbit trails of Calvinism and Arminianism, it's simple. God's pleasure, God's choice, God's timing. He separated me, he set me apart, he appointed me, and he called me through his grace. This is to be, to be called, it's important, is to be selected, to assume some office, to what? His grace. You see, Paul, despite his wickedness, or you and I, you can put, take Saul's name out of there and put your own name there, beside, you know, aside from your wickedness, he has marked you for salvation. He's marked you for salvation. Graciously marked him for salvation. Not by his works. It says, but when God, you know that but, but when God, the testimony of salvation begins with God. Paul's salvation, your salvation, it was his idea. It was not your idea. It was his idea. And he, God, knew it before birth. He called the prophet Jeremiah, for instance, even before conception. You're familiar with the verse Jeremiah 1.5, where he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So Paul says, but when it pleased God, he called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So again, this revelation, this disclosure to make known what was unknown that I might preach him, evangelize, announce the good news to who? The Gentiles. The word Gentile is a Greek word for ethnos. It means everyone else except Jewish people and in a sense the church. So all the rest of the people who got scattered at the Tower of Babel and all the different ethnicities and all the different languages, all Gentiles, most of us, all Gentiles. And he sent Paul to evangelize. And that's why Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, in essence, Paul said, God saved me so that his son might be unveiled in me. God's decision for salvation goes beyond merely saving souls. As miraculous as that is, he created us not only to live with him in heaven, but also to, to display and glorify Jesus on the earth. But notice he has to, now he's having to explain some things because he's defending his ministry. And he says, but I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. To confer means to consult with. After he really received this miraculous revelation from Jesus on the road to uh, um, Damascus and all the instruction he received right in that time frame, he did not immediately confer with people. He's defending his calling. And so he makes it a point to explain that after his conversion, he didn't need to consult with human teachers in order to fully understand the gospel message. Now, I will say, you know, that, that goes, Paul, Paul's, again, we're, we're seeing him as very unique. But keep in mind that Paul already was an expert in the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament had not been written yet. So he didn't need instruction in the scriptures. And, you know, in our, in our modern day, and, and by God's grace and by God's calling, we're called to make disciples. We're called to teach others and learn and grow through the word of God. But this really, when you see this, it really highlights how unique Paul's calling was. It doesn't make him different from you and I in the eyes of God, by the way. We're all, you know, saved by God's grace. But it does define the difference, the unique calling that Paul had. And so in verse 17, he says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me. So now he, he's going to trace his steps to prove the point he says, but I went to Arabia, and then I returned back to Damascus. Now, Paul went eastward. Remember, he was in Damascus, which is north. It's in, uh, like, 
Syria, northern Syria. And instead of going south to Jerusalem, he went eastward into Arabia. Some would say it's modern-day Saudi Arabia. Many believed that Paul needed to be alone with God. Prior to being humbled, he was a very religious and self-righteous man, as we've read. And he even had a murderous campaign against the church. At this point in his walk with God, he didn't necessarily need counseling in the scriptures, as we said. As much, as much as he needed to learn how to turn his self-confidence into confidence and trust in Christ. And this would be through his daily worship, his communion with Christ, and the things that the Lord would speak to him. Now there's a lot of value there. When, you, when you're truly saved, you know, it wasn't, hopefully it wasn't at some event where somebody called you up front and you raised your hand and you got your name on a roll and then you continued to live your life the way you wanted to. Because when you're truly saved, there, there's a difference. And you, in, in the sense of a person trying to validate your, your conversion, they don't need to be the ones to question that. You know that things are different. You know that you've had a supernatural encounter with God. Now, you may have had supernatural encounters with the Holy Spirit before you gave your life to the Lord. I can remember several of those before I was truly converted. Because that's what the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit does. It convicts us of our sin. But when you've come to know the Lord and you know that you have God's grace and his peace, you know, you've, you've come to know that, you know it in your heart and soul. You may still need instruction, you need to grow and you need to learn, uh, and maybe others will teach you, but the question is, are you truly saved? And only you can say that. Only you can have confidence to say that. And the Lord will confirm that by the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But what a lesson for all of us is that we would seek to know Christ as Paul did. Psalm 91.1, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So Paul went out and then he returned to Damascus. Now we're going to find out here in a little bit that he actually went there out into, the, into Arabia for three years. And then he returned to Damascus. Uh, what's not said is covered in Acts 9, basically Acts 9, 19-22, that um, before Paul went out to Arabia, he preached the gospel around Damascus. You know, after he got his sight back and the scales fell off, he was telling everybody about Jesus. But the problem was um, he, uh, he ticked off a lot of people in saying that. He drew a lot of heat, and there was a murderous uh, attempt on his life. And so later you'll see in Acts 23 through 25, they actually had to let him down through the city wall, an opening in the city wall to escape a murder plot against him. But those are, those are things that are covered if you study the book of Acts. But here, uh, I just want to take a moment to, to, let's talk about, you know, how does your salvation experience compare or differ with Paul's? If you were to draw a line to your own salvation experience, and I'm hoping that you will learn through this teaching today that, about how to, you know, your testimony. I'm not going to have time to, give you, to tell you exactly how to give your testimony, perhaps another time. But you, you and I need to be able to draw a line from how it was before we were saved, when we were saved, and how God's changed our hearts. And so how does your salvation experience compare or differ from Paul's? Well, here's, how, here's a couple ways that it should compare with Paul's. And this is in regard to the change it has on your life, both immediate and as time progresses. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So God sees you brand new. And in, in Peter's letter, he encourages his hearers to remain steadfast and to grow in their faith. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. He says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest that you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with error of the wicked. And this is what was happening to the church in Galatia. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So he's encouraging. You know, we, we need to continue our growth. So when you get saved, you want to read your Bible. You want to spend daily time in your Bible. You want to be obedient to the Lord every day. And you want to become a part of a local church that teaches the Bible. That's the simple marching orders for starters when we become Christians. And many of you have been doing it for many, many years. The salvation experience, though, will differ from Paul's. It will most likely be different. I know it was different you know, for me than Paul's in how you heard of the gospel. You see, Paul's direct revelation was unique. It's not unheard of, but it was unique. Most people, myself included, hear the gospel from someone else. Romans 10, 14 and 15. Paul writes, the same, same author who had a direct revelation from Jesus gave us instruction and he says, well, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is how we, we tell others. It says, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So most of us will have heard the Bible through, like I said earlier, an evangelist, a, a parent, a brother or sister, a Sunday school teacher. Whatever your, your testimony is, you would have heard the gospel, a gospel tract, those million-dollar bills, 10 million, I think it is. But that said, there are increasing reports from those who live in gospel and Bible-restricted areas of the earth. And if you're, if you're concerned, uh, where are the, where's the gospel restricted and, and persecution the most? There's a map as you're on your way to the restroom here. You'll see it on the wall from Voice of the Martyrs. There's a map of the most persecuted places, places where Christianity is not welcome in this world. And we have increasing reports from those places of people who have direct revelations from Christ. They're seeing visions from the Lord. They're hearing. They're, they're coming back and they're testifying of this person, this, this Jesus who came to them because they couldn't hear the gospel, they couldn't receive it. And they're giving direct reports of that. And it's happening all over the place. So Paul's situation of revelation of Jesus Christ was unique, but it's not heard of even in our day. But look, don't think that just because your testimony is not as dramatic, there wasn't a bright flash of light and you, had, you didn't lose your eyesight, you didn't hear an audible voice, the glory of God's work in your life can still be seen. Amen? The glory of God's work can be seen by others if you will let your light shine. Amen? So don't worry about having to go out and get yourself some great testimony. You don't want to do that, especially certain uh, young folks listening to this. Very quickly, we're going to go through the remainder of the chapter, verses 18 through 24. It says, And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him for 15 days. So he had three years of prayer and fellowship and sharing the gospel in Arabia, and now he had a new mission. Now, keep in mind, it was pointed out, interesting thing. We know that the original 12 apostles had received three years of instruction from the Lord, right? They'd walked through him three years through his, world, his life's ministry. Well, think about it. it you know, is it a correlation that Paul had three years in Arabia before he bothered to go meet with the other apostles? I don't know. Interesting, though. You know, uh, I think it's John Corson who used to say, uh, we, we, when we, as fishers of men, you know, Jesus taught us to be fishers of men. Um, and so we present the gospel, but it's God who catches them. He's the one that cleans them, and he's the one that guts them, right? <laughs> so you don't have to do all that dirty stuff so much. You know, the water of the word washing you, the water of the word cleansing you from the inside. And sometimes it takes a while. It says he remained with them for 15 days. Now Paul was defending the source of the gospel here. This was a direct revelation from Jesus. If he, had, if he had been going down to Jerusalem for instruction, he would have stayed a lot longer than two weeks. This was more like a vacation, a visit. But he says in verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He wants to be very specific about who he made contact with. And we learn that the Lord's brother, this explains which James we're talking about. 
the Lord's brother who became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he also wrote the epistle of James. That's who this is. The brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus until after his resurrection. He came to know him. But there were also James, the son of Zebedee, original apostles. This was the brother of John. And there was also James, the son of Alphaeus. Those were the original two other apostles. So there were a lot of Jameses. It's a popular name in Jesus' circle. He says in verse 20, Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. This is Paul, again, defending himself to the Galatians from the false teachers who are there stabbing him in the back. They're stabbing him in the back. And, you know, interesting, but Paul wants to make sure to mention some key names. He mentions Peter and James so that those Galatians will perhaps repeat what Paul says in his letter to the ones that are coming against him so they'll understand that Paul is talking to the source, okay, of the church. So if they came up from Jerusalem with their own version of the gospel, well, they, didn't, they weren't sent by Peter and they weren't sent by James because Paul was having fellowship with them. And then it says in verse 21, afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Now Paul had to come back to his hometown of Tarsus. You know, he was Saul of Tarsus, but now he's having to come back and face the music of the person he was around his closest people, the, the, his loved ones and his friends. You and I probably have had, it depends on when you came to faith. If you came to faith as an adult and you have an old hometown that you come from and old friends and classmates who remembered you as not such a, a sterling character, uh, you're going to have to face the music. And you're going to run into people that aren't going to believe your conversion or they're going to turn back on you or they're going to talk bad about you. And some are going to treat you with respect because they're going to see your life in Christ. But oftentimes... Your old hometown, your old friends, and your relatives are the most difficult gospel mission field there is. He says in verse 22, uh, he, he's on, he went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, but it says, but he mentions here in verse 22, I was unknown by face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Paul persecuted the church, but he had a lot of helpers. They knew that he was behind the scenes heading this mission up, but he wasn't always hands-on actually throwing people in jail. He, he arranged for that to happen. Remember in the stoning of Stephen, he actually held the coats of those who were going to take their coats off so they could throw stones and kill Stephen and martyr him. And so he says, I was unknown by face. They, could, they didn't recognize him. But look about how it's all coming together. This is just a few years after Jesus died. And, you know, he promised them that the Holy Spirit would empower them for the Great Commission. And already we see churches in Jerusalem and the lower province of Judea. You see churches all around, churches that Paul had not planted. Acts 1 through 8, you're familiar with? It says, but you shall receive, uh, Acts 1, 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Paul was unknown by face because the actual job was directly done in most cases by others. But he says, unknown by the churches of Judea which were in Christ. Now they, the, the, the word of God is spread, the gospel is spreading, and the churches are growing. But he says in verse 23, but they were hearing only. Now, just as his evil deeds were pretty widely known, his conversion was a big deal too. And depending on who you are and what kind of life you live before Christ, there's going to be a lot of chatter when so-and-so becomes a Bible thumper. <laughs> okay? Uh, that, that's going to be a lot of discussion at the water cooler around work, at least initially. And then they'll be saying, well, we'll see how long this lasts. And that was the same way with Paul. They all knew. Because he formerly persecuted uh, us, now preaches faith that he once tried to destroy. You know, this was that extreme example of Paul. He preaches the faith that he once tried to destroy. This is a remarkable conversion. And because of that, final verse, they glorified God in me. Because of this massive change that we saw in Paul's life, they glorified God in me. And that's when a good testimony is. A good testimony is when God is glorified for the work that he's done through your life to change. So when you and I, when we minister to someone, when we help someone, when we serve another, 
Who do you and I give credit for when, when they say thank you? Do we, you know, do we just sort of say, well, you know, uh, I had a, a guy pointed this out at a recent conference. He says, do we rob God's glory by taking credit by just simply saying you're welcome, which is a very kind thing to say when somebody does something good to you, for you? Or are we prepared to say, hopefully in prayer, knowing that we've done something good, are we prepared to say, the Lord told me to do that for you? So we give glory back to God. So we know that Paul was given the role of bringing the gospel to the churches. He had four missionary journeys. This was the first one referred to. And he planted countless churches, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament. So I would challenge you as we finish today's message, I would challenge you folks, maybe you've already done it. Maybe it would be a good time when you get some quiet time with the Lord sometime this week, grab a cup of coffee, whatever time you have, and write down three things. Describe your life before Christ, briefly, but, but specifically in some cases. Tell how you came to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and then, most importantly, write down how your life has been changed. Because you and I need to be ready to give the good news, and our testimony can be one of the most powerful tools for witnessing to the lost. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our message today. We thank you for the word, and we ask, Lord God, that it would bear fruit. It would not be just like seeds scattered along the soil of a, of a heart that's, you know, maybe got a lot of other things on their mind. Lord, but we pray that your word would take root in the good soil of our hearts today so that we could continue to grow in your, your grace and your love, that we could continue to shine and bring glory to your name. So I simply ask, Lord, that you go before us now. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives, and we thank you for all that you will do throughout our lives and through eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Well, let's stand and recite our final prayer together. <clears throat> Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his ship and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.